You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Well, this is week four. We've been doing looking to Christmas, looking to Christmas, and this is week four. Week one, for those that can't remember back that far, was the nativity story is the biggest story ever told. Why am I saying that? Because it started before creation and it goes right through to the end of time. That is the Christmas story. It is the most personal story ever told. Mary and Joseph had their own plans in life. But actually the angel came and everything turned around. And they responded in faith. And if we respond in faith now, it can become the most personal story to us too. The Christmas story is... I would argue, the most inclusive story ever. Last week, we were even told that it was the wise men, the learned, the academic, the rich, and also the shepherds, the poor, the fringe, those on the outside of society that were all welcome. And here we now get to Christmas Eve, and we're going to celebrate this story tomorrow. How does the average person celebrate the story? Well, I've managed to find, and it must be true, I was going to say it was in the Daily Mail, but I don't know where I got it from. This is how most of you will spend tomorrow celebrating. 7.45 is the average time for people to wake up on Christmas Day. All those with young kids think, oh yeah, 7.45 would just be a dream. Open presents by 8.32. Your first alcoholic drink by 9.05. Notice you don't have breakfast to 9.19. You don't sit down for dinner until 2.45. And everyone gets to bed by 10 o'clock. Okay, I, I, I don't know who the average person is, but I was told that's how we do the average day. What, what do people do on Christmas Day? What's this story really lead? How do we really celebrate this? Last year, they reckon that 4,000 people challenged a parking fine on Christmas Day. So how did they celebrate? They sat at their computer and they opposed a parking fine on Christmas Day. They reckon 200,000 people have to go to work on Christmas Day. They reckon 800,000 of us will dash to the shops to buy batteries or bits for the dinner that we've forgotten. 56% of us will celebrate Christmas Day by checking work emails. 56%. Look at the person next to you. If it's not them, it's you. That's how it works. So have we missed the whole point of this Christmas story? What is Christmas all about? The danger I sometimes think with these massive great stories is we can get so close and miss the point. If I had um, a chance to read the whole Christmas story from the book of Luke, I might have said the Christmas story is about one thing. The manger. Oh. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that. I've got a picture. Oh, there you go. If you had an iconic Christmas picture, surely it would be, it's all about the manger. You see, Luke refers to the manger three times. Verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. This is Mary. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. 
See, if this was panto, you'd all be shouting manger by now. Oh, there's the word. Then we get this in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. This was the angel talking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. So what do the shepherds do? Verse 16, they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So surely if I want to think what is the Christmas story all about, what should I be celebrating? I'm celebrating the manger. None of you are looking convinced at this point. I found a whole sermon about it online. So I thought maybe I'm on the right track. You see, what is a manger? Well, people of Ealing, you don't need to know that. You already know, don't you? There's a shop, isn't there, just over the road called Preta Manger, isn't it? I mean, have I I missed something? My French is not great, but I believe manger means to eat. Preta Manger means ready to eat, is that right? I mean, this is, it all comes straight out of the Bible. The reality is, the manger was the feeding place. It was where, you know, they, they, they put some food, maybe a ledge even on the room, and, and the animals could feed there. It could be made out of stone or, or mud and, and rocks put together. It could be carved. You could say there could be this whole thing of actually it was no accident that God's son was placed in a manger. Physical food, spiritual food. I could go on and on like this, but the reality is that all of you know, if you go to church at all, or even if you don't, please stick with me, we do not come to celebrate a manger. You see, although there's the details of the story, actually we come to celebrate the one who was put into the manger. You see, in Luke, when he says, go to the manger, what does he say? There you will discover not the manger, but the Messiah. You see, they weren't sent to worship at this this pre-made artifact. They were sent to worship the Messiah who'd come from God. It says in verse 11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born He is the Messiah, the Lord. The whole thing about Christmas and this story is not that actually, oh yeah, it's the biggest story ever and it's the most cosmic. Actually, the whole story points to one, this child. It's not about the manger, it's about the child in the manger. The Messiah. I mean, I was going to say, it's a word you don't really hear much today, is it, Messiah? Well, I heard it sung just the other week. I uh, went to see West Ham play Chelsea. For those who don't know much about football, West Ham were struggling uh, near the bottom of the Premier League and Chelsea were doing much better at the top. Just so happened, though, that when I was there, Chelsea lost. West Ham won 1-0. I mean, it felt like a miracle. You know, I I almost lost my voice. I was there cheering on the hammers. As I'm walking out of the stadium, the West Ham fans start singing about David Moyles, who's their new manager. Moyles is the Messiah. 
They'd won one game and they suddenly thought, this is the guy who's going to set us free. We don't often think about messiahs. I guess that was a bit tongue-in-cheek. But actually, the people in the story, the messiah had been a picture that they'd been excited about, I was going to say, for years. But that would be wrong. I'd say for decades. No, that would be wrong. I'd say for centuries. No, actually, for millennia, they'd been excited about Messiah. In fact, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if you enjoy these kind of things. I love at Christmas looking at Where's Wally books. I mean, I just do it for kids, really, of course. You know, I'm just trying to help them find out. You get this picture, don't you? And it's, it's just like this amazing scene of, like, I don't know, ancient Egypt, and you've got to suddenly find ten of these little characters. Where's Wally? And you go, oh, he is there. And when you look at the detail, you think, it's amazing, all the detail in there. You can get them now on meerkats, can't you? Where's the meerkat? You know, find the meerkat. And the reality is that actually the Bible, and I'm not trying to disrespect the Bible, the closer you look, the more you find the Messiah throughout. And the more that you stare at the picture of the Bible, oh, he's there, he's there, he's there. So if you look at the Bible, you would have realized that Adam was a picture of the Messiah. Adam, right in the beginning of Genesis, he was a picture of the Messiah because the Messiah was about prosperity and peace. And unfortunately, that was lost because of sin, but the Messiah will restore it. So what Adam was about, oh, that picture, that will be the Messiah. Now, if you looked at the Bible, you'd have realized, oh, Moses, he was a picture of the Messiah. You see, what happened with Moses, he was one that delivered these people that were caught in slaves and brought them into an inheritance. Oh, that's going to be a picture of what the Messiah will do. So the closer that you looked at the book, the more you understood it. If you looked at this character, this guy, King David, well, King David, he was one who, who had a kingdom that God said would last forever. And there was something about this small people being turned into a kingdom and a people that, that would rule. Oh, that's a picture of the Messiah. You could read story after story about the servant that's going to come, the anointed conqueror that's coming, the branch that's going to come, the seed of the woman that's coming, the son of man that's coming, the anointed. This was all pictures of the Messiah. Then what I've done is actually the Bible is, is 66 books that are all together. And I would say that every single book has got a picture that points to who the Messiah is. And so if you said to me, God, pick any book of the Bible, here we go, look, Esther. Oh, the Messiah is the one that will be the protector of his people, just like Esther was the protector of hers. Oh, pick another book. Oh, Ruth. Oh, Boaz was the kingsman redeemer. He was the one that paid the price for her. Oh, that's the picture of the Messiah. I don't know, Exodus. Oh, it was all about the Passover lamb. Oh, that was a picture of the Messiah. And so if you could go on to the next slide as well. Every book, this is of the Old Testament, there's 39 of them. They all had pictures of what's coming. Oh, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Habakkuk, the one who crushes injustice. Malachi, the son of righteousness, who brings healing. There's all these pictures. In fact, then if you jump right into the New Testament, which is some would say the second half, there's all these pictures that are of the Messiah. So suddenly you think, wow. 
they suddenly had a view of this baby. But it wasn't just a baby in a manger. The angel said, this is the Messiah. This is God's sent one. All these pictures that you've been anticipating for so long. I am beginning to feel my age when it gets to New Year. I remember when the millennium occurred. You know, I was trying to explain to um, kids with us recently. I said, something called the millennium bug. And we were just all really concerned that actually we'd no longer be able to buy baked beans because computers were changing. And they're looking at, what? <laughs> I said, but suddenly it's going to go from 1999 to 2000. The world might stop. I don't want to be in an airplane. It might drop out. The... And they're looking at you completely crazy. I remember dishing out videos. The man behind the millennium. And it was the repackage of the Jesus video. Because actually it was like, hey, whatever has happened, whatever has caused this. You know, we've been going for thousands, no, 2,000 years. The man behind it all was Jesus Christ. This is the one that we are to discover. This is why we get excited. This is why we come and worship. We believe that the Bible is pointing us to Jesus Christ. I would like to ask you a question on Christmas Eve. Who do you think was in the manger? Who do you think was there? Mahat Gandhi, he says this about Jesus. He was a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. That's how he describes Jesus Christ. What about you? In the midst of all this Christmas things and, and the quiz, and we never got to say our, our quiz name, actually. The Christmas Noel, Noel. Can, can I get the round of drinks then, Edward? Thank you. The reality is we have all this fun and come, but then do we take time for who is Jesus? Martin Luther King, the civil rights leader in the States, says Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. That's what he said. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Who was in the manger? Napoleon, the French general, he was a politician and emperor, says, I know men. And I tell you that Jesus was no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires, but what foundation did we rest the creations of our genius upon? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die. For... So Napoleon said, God, this guy is just so distinct and so different and so radical. Who is in the manger? Sholem Ash. He is a Jewish author. He wrote this. Jesus Christ is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both the Son of God and the Son of Man. 
Everything he ever said or did has value for us today. And that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. There is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or reject him. I think the challenge still is, who's in the manger? It's not about the manger, but who is this child that we're celebrating? I'm going to finish with a story which is is not true, but I believe very powerful. The story is told of an old man who had one son. The son's name was Mark. As an only child, he became a very experienced art collector. However, as winter came, Mark left his father to go and serve the country in the army. After a few weeks, the father received a telegram to say that his son had died, saving the life of another. Distraught, the father contemplated Christmas alone at home. On Christmas Day, there was a knock at the door. A soldier stood there. The one that Mark had rescued was there. He says, I'm an artist and I've drawn a picture of your son. It's not a masterpiece, but it is a true likeness. The old man took the the picture of the son and lovingly put it over his fireplace, clearing the masterpieces out of the way. All Christmas, he sat and stared lovingly at this picture of his son. The next year, the old man died leaving thousands of pounds worth, millions of pounds worth of masterpieces to be put up for sale. In his will, he decreed that the art sale would take place on Christmas Day, the day he'd received his most treasured possession. Christmas Day, the room is packed. All these art dealers are waiting The auctioneer gets up and says, the first piece of art that I'm to sell is the picture of the sun. Who will give me 100 pounds? That was how the room reacted. Complete silence. Somebody even shouted from the back, forget that one, we want the real gems. No, I must sell this one first. Eventually... One elderly gentleman offered £10 for the picture. He says, I knew the boy. I'll take the picture. The auctioneer said, thank you very much. With that, he banged down his gavel. Auction over. Everyone else was horrified. What? There's millions of pounds. We've come to buy the paintings. To which the auctioneer replied, whoever gets the sun gets it all. You see, we ultimately believe that if we get Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we get it all. What else do we need? When we come at Christmas, it's not about a huge, great, long list to Santa in heaven. We come before a father who says, actually, that's my son. And we know that he's in the manger now, but we know that actually this is the Messiah that would live the perfect life, that would die on the cross for things he'd never done wrong. 
so that ultimately we can be forgiven and we can have an inheritance. I know we often sing it at Christmas. Oh, come, let us adore him. I guess that's my heart's cry when I suddenly stop and think about the Christmas story. Joseph stirred us, didn't he? About what are we going to do tomorrow? Look, I love family. I love games and watching shows. And I'm not anti any of that. But actually, I would love us to say, oh, come let us adore him. The Christmas story points not to a manger, but a child in the manger. And that child is Jesus Christ. not about one day it's about every day and because we celebrate Jesus that's why I know that um, Anna's now going to lead us in a time of breaking bread where this is really our chance to come and reflect upon Jesus and all that he is for us